I'm Laura Gentry Williams, and you're listening to Adopting It Forward. Adopting It Forward allows people to share their adoption stories in order to encourage you wherever you are in your adoption marathon, from bystander to runner in training to participant. Enjoy today's story. Hey everyone, welcome back to Adopting It Forward. We're at episode 31 and we're starting season three after a really big break. (laughs) I'm so glad to be back, everyone. I hope you guys had a great summer. It's been so nice. We took a beach vacation. We hung out with family. I caught up on all the projects I put off, like all of you teachers out there. We look at things all school year and say, you know what? I'll do that in the summer. <laughs> but now we're back to school. And this show is airing September 1st in honor of my dad, who passed away on this day 13 years ago. Miss you, Dad. So school is back, and all the parents have made their school decisions. Did any of you change course this year? We have so many options. We've got public, virtual, private, charter, homeschooling. All the college kids have headed back to school, and it's all so hard. But whatever decision you made with your kids, just let yourself rest in it. You prayed it through, trust God with your kids, and give grace to everyone in their decisions as well. And please support your teachers and administrators. It is so hard right now. No one is happy. It's hard to make anyone happy. So my guests today are Jeff and Holly Tate. I actually coached Holly in seventh grade. Yes, I am old. And now I have her brother's son in class. Big shout out to Gage and my ASOLO Intermediate School in Mansfield, Texas. I love my students and most of them love PE. So it makes it easy. Jeff and Holly have adopted two sweet boys domestically and their story is one of health issues and miracles. Holly reminds us of how brave these birth moms are to choose life for their babies when it might seem easier to terminate an unplanned pregnancy. So now enjoy my conversation with Jeff and Holly. Welcome Jeff and Holly. Thank you guys so much for doing this. Yeah, we're really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting us. (laughs) Let's talk about how long ago I invited you. I'm trying to think. It's been a minute. <laughs> it certainly has been a minute. There's been a lot of back and forth. And yes, we've tried so hard. So we we met, quote unquote, at in your adult life <laughs> in April, right? Wasn't it in April at an E1A yes. event? And yes. you were like, what did you say to me? So I'm just, just let's just get this out there right now. I knew immediately that I recognized you and lo and behold, y'all got up there and shared your testimony. And I realized that you, in fact, were my seventh grade volleyball coach. Yes, sure was, Holly. It's <laughs> true. And I know your brother and sister and all the things. And yeah, do I feel a little old? Yes, I do. Well, and Jeff, like I know your name too, because you went to through there too, but I only had the girl side. So, mm-hmm. and y'all were both like, yeah, you're Coach Williams, right? I was like, darn it. I knew it. And I, I saw y'all back there and I was like, yeah, I know them. <laughs> yeah, so you so guys, it's a very small world. It is. Oh my gosh. And I've just been around forever. Stan likes to point that out. He's like, you know, you are getting on up there. It's fine. 
So you guys met when? We actually met in, I believe it was second grade. So we've known each other since elementary school. We have lived in Mansfield our whole life pretty much. We must love it here because we're not leaving. Um, But yeah, we have a lot of history here. Yeah, we were just acquaintances growing up. We didn't start dating until when I returned from the military. Then we started dating. We knew each other's circles growing up. Yeah, I mean, you would have had to because there was only one high school then and everybody just kind of knew everyone. But you were not high school sweethearts. You were high school kind of friends. Yes, we had a lot of mutual friends. And so we hung out some, but um, it wasn't, we didn't start dating until after he got back from, he was stationed in Spain. So when he came home after a three-year duty in Spain is when we officially launched our relationship. We've been, we just celebrated our 17th anniversary. But when I think about it, it seems like a lot longer than that. Basically, have always known each other. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's so great. I mean, were y'all a fix up? Um, no, not really. Actually, one of his best friends, I had a crush on him and he invited us to go out to dinner because Jeff was coming home from Spain and he invited us all to go out to dinner. And so I went um, a little bit reluctantly because I was really tired, but ended up going. And Jeff and I, that first night, we just really hit it off, had a really good conversation and and I knew from there we wanted to start our relationship. Oh, been together ever since. I love those mm-hmm. stories. So romantic. So do you remember a time when you first started talking about adoption? Yes, in fact. So I guess we were probably maybe four or five months into our relationship. And of course, the fact that we had known each other for so long, um, our relationship went maybe a little bit quicker as far as getting to know each other. We didn't have that initial stuff to go through. So that was a little bit easier for us. So I guess about four to five months into our relationship, we were actually on our way to dinner. We're going out on a date. And I felt like it was something I needed to bring up to him in conversation um, because (laughs) I had always felt very strongly from the time I was in middle school about adopting. Um, I knew that was something that perhaps the Lord had laid on my heart or I don't know. I just felt a real connection to adoption very early. Mm. And because it was important to me, I wanted to make sure that the person (laughs) I was going to marry would be open to that as well. And so I kind of just threw it out there and told him that... For a really long time, I felt like at some point that I was called to adopt, and I wondered what he thought about that. And I can tell you before he gave his answer, I really did think, you know, if he said, I'm just not open to that, or that's not going to be part of my story, I think it really would have impacted whether or not we continued down the road we were on. But thankfully, pretty much without hesitation, he said, oh, yeah, I would really love to do that. We always thought we would have biological children. We wanted a big family. We talked about having five kids. Um, We thought maybe the fifth one would be adopted. Um, And obviously our story takes a little bit different turn, but it was neat that both of us felt called to that and kind of agreed on that early on. Oh, great. Yeah, because that could have been a deal breaker. What about you, Jeff? Like, how did you feel? Oh, we're dating. Y'all weren't even engaged yet or anything? Nope. So what did that make you think, Jeff? Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, I think I've always felt the same way. And like looking back, reflecting on it, I think maybe it was tied to like the orphan issue. I'm not sure. But just growing up, I think 
I felt the same way, like that was part of my story. So that's so great. I've heard a few people say things like that, like the Lord put it in their heart. You shared a couple of things with me when we were, we were at another dinner recently, Holly, and you, you shared a few things about your family. Do you feel like some of those things from when you were younger may have played into that feeling of adoption? Yeah, I do. So I lost my mom when I was nine. And so I grew up really fast and I was kind of a caretaker to my brothers for many years. So I always kind of had that nurturing motherly thing. The Lord just gave that to me. Um, you were. I remember that about you as a seventh grader. You're a little grown up. Yeah. A, I mean, you did. Bless your heart. Yeah. You grow up fast. And so, I mean, there was that side of it. And I think also just, just the compassion, I tend to gravitate towards the ones that are left out or towards the ones that may not feel like they belong or maybe wounded or, or trauma or things like that. My heart has always gravitated towards that. And so I don't know, I think those are a couple of the things that impacted my desire to adopt a child. So what are your professions? What do you guys both do? Well, my background is, um, for a long time, it was supply chain, and it was managing a really large global network throughout mainly Asia. And then uh, about two years ago, I started my own business. And then uh, last December, I went in full time, so just jumped in. So trying to get this business going. It's been fun. I work a lot of hours. and uh, <laughs> Getting it all going. Mm. See where God takes us, yeah. And for the last 13 years, I have been the Director of Client Services at Metroplex Women's Clinic. So it's the Pregnancy Resource Center for Arlington. Uh, We have three locations. So essentially, I train our volunteers and staff to work one-on-one with our clients who come in in an unexpected pregnancy and also connect them with resources. And then I oversee our prenatal and parenting education program and our discipleship program there. Wow. That's awesome. What a great ministry. So you connect them with services, which is so needed. Yeah, it's been very rewarding. Some days are difficult. It's a complete thing of just trusting the Lord with these girls that come in, but it's so neat to see the heart change and to be able to be a part of that, that the Lord in his grace allows us to partner with him in such a huge monumental time in these girls' lives. So um, I don't take it lightly. It's it's really an honor. Wow. What a great ministry. That's awesome. So you guys now have a couple of boys. And how old mm-hmm. are your boys? So Carson is 11. He's going into sixth grade. And Nolan is seven. And he's going into first grade. They're very cute. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about you said you guys said that when you were younger and you know early dating that you discussed adoption. So what led you then down your road to where you are now with the boys? Essentially on our 1 year wedding anniversary, actually just a little bit before our 1 year wedding anniversary, Jeff was in a head-on car collision um, about he was in the hospital not too long after that, he was just starting to recover. I uh, started becoming pretty flu-like, coming down with symptoms of the flu that just continued to progress. I um, was actually misdiagnosed five different times with various ailments. I was on all kinds of prescriptions because... Over five days. <laughs> yeah, so rapidly progressing, but knew something for sure was, was definitely going on to the point that I was unable to get out of bed without 
essentially feeling like I was going to pass out and just really, really, really sick, um, like I had never experienced before. And Jeff insisted that we go to the emergency room, even though I fought him tooth and nail. He was like, we're going. So sorry, this is right after your car crash. Mm -hmm. So you're recovering. You're in the middle of your recovery. Did you break things? No, the Lord protected me. I don't remember a lot of the crash. I had a pretty bad concussion and I couldn't walk at first. There were issues with my legs. It's funny, Holly would tell me, like, is that from the crash? And I, don't, I have no clue what she's talking about. So, yeah, I was recovering. I was limping around the hospital. So you're recovering, and you're like, yes, we are going to the ER. <laughs> wow. So we were in bad shape. Um, Funny, not funny. Anyway, so we arrived at the hospital and pretty quickly after running some tests, they finally realized that the issues I was having was actually had to do with my heart. So a virus, which they are still unable to detect what it was, but a virus had attacked my heart and caused congestive heart failure. So I was transferred to um, UT Southwestern in Dallas, then a couple of days, and I spent 28 days in ICU, essentially fighting for my life. My heart was functioning at 10 to 15% of its capacity, and anything below 15% is imminent death. So I was put on a transplant list, and all of the workup for that was very intense. So I was really struggling to survive, but I will tell you for sure that that was the closest I have ever felt to the Lord in my entire life. I had hundreds of people coming into my hospital room and praying over me, laying hands on me. And I experienced the Lord's mercy and His grace in a way that I had never experienced in my life. I truly felt the Spirit of God moving in my hospital room and I didn't know whether God was going to take my life or spare my life. Of course, I prayed for him to heal me, but I had such a peace. I knew regardless of whether he took my life and I I had to say goodbye to this one, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was going to meet him face to face in heaven. And I had a complete peace about that. But I did tell him that if you were, if you're merciful enough to heal me and save my life, I will go on to tell the story of what you have done. And I will share my testimony because I know that it is a hundred percent you. It is not me. It is all you. There was nothing I can do in that hospital bed to save my life. I was completely at the mercy of God. Um, and I had dealt with trust issues, real bad ones, in fact. And I walked around a lot with my fists clenched, holding things tightly to me because I had lost my mom and just some other experiences I had gone through in my life. I walked with my hands really close to my chest and I didn't want to open them up because I was scared. And in that moment, um, I learned that I needed to open my hands to receive what the Lord had for me. And in his goodness, he sent a miracle and there's nothing short of that. Uh, He healed my heart. My doctor, after I got better, we went to visit him, and he was the head of the transplant clinic. He was the president of the American Heart Association the year before, and he took my case because he heard about it through the medical school, and he knew I was in dire shape, so he took my case. Well, anyway, after I recovered, miraculously, I went to see him for a follow-up visit, and I had prayed. I didn't know if he was a believer, so I prayed fervently for him um, that the Lord would reveal himself and that 
it would not be of the work of man's hands, but it would only be of the work of the Lord. And so when we, we went to see him, he said, Holly, you were the sickest patient I've ever had in 11 years that survived. And he said, we had doctors all across the country working on your case in California, all over. And he said, there's really no way to define how you recovered. We can't really put our finger on it. And I said, I know how I recovered. And it was only through God he did it. I give him all the glory. And so one of the things that came out of that, Jeff had had to make a lot of really difficult decisions during that time on my behalf, a lot of surgery procedures and so forth during those 28 days. And the one thing after I got better that came to mind is what about babies? I knew that was something we desired. Yeah, because how old were you at this point when you were going through all this? It was in 2005, so 26. So I knew I had to ask him, my doctor, like, what is this going to mean for me, for us? (laughs) And so I remember sitting down on the edge of my hospital bed and he sat down next to me. We had that relationship at that point (laughs) after that long. 28 days. Yeah. And uh, so I asked him, I said, you know, can I have kids? Like, is this going to be something we can do? And he took a big, deep breath and he said, Holly, um, I cannot in good conscience recommend that you ever get pregnant. He said, pregnancy could be really difficult on your heart. And I can't think that um, we got you out of one really scary situation. I can't think that we would want to try to do this again. And he said, I know that's not what you want to hear, but I just wanted to be honest with you. And so, as you can imagine, I was really distraught. Um, I thought, how on earth am I going to tell my husband, who has done everything for me and has just been up at the hospital pretty much 24-7, caring for me and praying for me, how am I going to tell him I can't have his babies? And I was devastated. And I remember he walked in that hospital room and he could see the tears streaming down my face. And he said, I said, I got to tell you something. And I said, I'm not going to be able to have kids because the doctor said it would potentially be too hard on my heart. And he said, listen, he said, you don't have to worry about that one more second. That just means we get to adopt that baby we've always wanted a little bit sooner. It was just so perfect you had that conversation when you were even dating. Jeff, do you remember, like, I'm sure that walking in there, what was going through you, your mind through this whole thing here? You're watching your, your wife of one year going through a life threatening situation. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, for me, I was just glad she was better. So I mean, that was kind of an afterthought for me. I'm sure it was way much more on her than it did on me. So it's true, though. God had prepared us for this moment years and years before. So it kind of rolled off my shoulders. I didn't think much of it. So <laughs> I mean, really, how many? Maybe there's more than I think. But I'm like, I feel like that's a really unusual young 20-something conversation. Especially you're not even engaged to be talking. And Holly's like, this could be a deal. I mean, I'm sure you didn't tell him that this is a deal breaker. But in your mind, you're like, it's a deal breaker. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, wow. He gave the right answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little did he know. I, wow. I did not know this story and I'm amazed at both of you because that is so much to take. You're in your mid twenties, newlyweds, and you're watching your wife struggle so much. 
And right before that, you'd watch Jeff. I mean, that's a head-on collision is you had probably thought, well, that could have been it. Things have gone through both of your minds about possible end of life here for you guys at such a young age. Yeah, I, I think a lot about the fact that, you know, a lot of times the things that we go through in our life, we would never ask for them. We would never seek them out. And of course, I mean, I look back on my illness and it was a very, very dark and difficult time, but I am so thankful. I wouldn't take it back for anything. It taught me so much. It taught us so much Um, to go through something like that. It changes you for the better. And it truly taught us how to believe and have faith and not be prone to fear And to trust God no matter what, no matter what he does, because he's sovereign, he's in control, and he's always good, and he's always faithful. So, you know, it's not, again, I I would never say, you know, hindsight is 20-20, but I would never say I want to go through a life-threatening illness. But looking back on it, it truly was monumental in our faith walk and our journey. Wow. Do you remember a day when everything took a turn? You're like, oh, I'm going to live. Absolutely. Uh, It's funny because Holly remembers most of what happened and her doctor said most of his patients don't hardly remember anything. They'll have like a couple of memories that don't really make sense. They don't fit together. She knows or she knew at the time all of her nurses names, all of her doctor's names, every procedure she went through. And your your heart was functioning at what percentage did you say? 10 to 15%. It's like normal function for heart is about 55 to 60%. And mine was at 10 to 15. So it, when you would see it on an echocardiogram, it barely looked like it was beating. Because that's major exhaustion, right? Just, I mean, did you yeah. feel, I mean, what did it feel like? Your heart is trying to work so hard and it can't that it just, it takes all the energy out of you. I couldn't lift my head off of the hospital bed. I mean, it, it just was essentially impossible to do that because I was so lethargic and just so sick. I don't know any other way to say it. So after 28 days then, I guess, was it on the 28th? I mean, when did everything take a turn? So my doctor came in one day, he came in and he said, Holly, I'm going to do an echo of your heart. And if I don't see any type of improvement. We're going to move full force with the transplant. I had already been approved for transplant and they were going to rush it through. And so he said, if we don't see an improvement in your heart function, we're going to move uh, very quickly with the transplant. So they did an echo and he came in, uh, the doctor came in several hours later and he said to Jeff and I, you know, I've seen a 5% improvement. I think at this point I was probably at like 20%. Okay. And he said, you know what? That's enough that I'm going to delay this just a little bit longer. He said, we're going to do an echo in two more days. And again, we're, we're going to have to see some improvement here, but Hey, you went up 5%. So we're going to give it another shot. And I remember I didn't sleep for 48 hours. All I did was pray. And when you're talking about a pivotal moment, that was that 48 hours was the pivotal moments for me. People, like I said, were coming in to pray over me and like and and just um, that from all over the Metroplex that I didn't know because people were so connected with others and saying, you know, Holly's in the hospital. She's my friend. You know, we, she needs prayer and so forth. And so I didn't sleep. I just prayed. And so 48 hours later, they did the echo. 
And I was looking at the technician, you know, hoping he would like show some kind of like facial, like yeah. smile or, you know, look excited or like, oh, wow, something huge is happening here. No, he was completely like, so he didn't like- give any indication. <laughs> But I knew in my heart something was different I, and in my spirit. I just knew something had changed. And so my doctor came in that evening and he said, you need to call Jeff and you need to call your dad in here. And I was like, this is either really good or this is really bad. So they came in and he said, I want you to know that your echo shows a 15% improvement. And that was exactly what I was looking for in order to postpone the transplant or possibly the fact that you wouldn't have to have it all together. So the Lord knew what number I didn't know what he needed to see. I had no idea. I was just praying, Lord, whatever he's looking for, you know. And so he did it. I got there. (laughs) So no transplant. Thank you, Jesus. And that was how many years ago? 16 years. And have you had repercussions from this that you know of? No, honestly, I really haven't. The Lord has taken really good care of me. About two or three months after um, I got out of the hospital, my heart function was already in the normal range. Mm. So I, I think I'm good now. I don't know. I haven't been to the doctor in a while. I shouldn't like, we're, say we're that. counting it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm good. Aww. Today's show is brought to you by the Cookie Barn Cookies with a Purpose. A portion of all cookies sold go to support the nonprofit E1A. E1A is a ministry that seeks to support and encourage foster and adoptive parents in various ways with the ultimate goal of keeping families together. And so you were like, you guys had this big discussion about we can't have kids. What's the next step? So did you take steps soon from that or kind of recuperate a little bit and then see how did you know what direction to go from there? So it was probably about a year and a half after that, that we started the process to adopt. We started the process, but we were really slow in it. We were just gathering information and we weren't pushing it. I mean, we didn't know how long it would take. Otherwise we may have moved quicker. One thing that was really important to us is that we had the money saved ahead of time. And so that took a little bit longer. Yeah, that was part of that information gathering, just learning how much it cost. I mean, we had no idea. Did you guys use an agency to get started with or how did did. you go about deciding that? We did use an agency. Um, We actually thought initially we wanted to do international adoption and we went to like two or three orientations, but we were ruled out because of my health situation we would have had to wait another three years for medical clearance. And so we kind of jumped ship on that, if you will, and decided to do domestic adoption instead. I was connected through the pregnancy center with several agencies already that we refer to. So I guess that kind of gave us a little bit of a leg up. And so we just started going to orientations and talking with the caseworkers and hearing their heart and kind of their mission and vision for adoption. And so, and then we finally landed on one that we felt was going to be a good fit for our family. Mm. And then were you guys matched? Was this a private adoption or? Private adoption. So when we went in, we, I guess we didn't know much about adoption in our ignorance. So what we both imagined was like a closed adoption and kind of through the education process that the agency put us through and everything, 
by the time we were done, we wanted, we were full on board with open adoption. So hmm. that was Carson's story. He has an open adoption. So uh, the way that worked is we had like a profile book and everything. And so if a pregnant birth mother came in, look into place, they would show them different profiles. And it was kind of cool because the birth mother gets to choose where she's placing her child. So that's the way it worked at the agency we went through. And I, I think that's pretty much the way it works. So kind of a neat story. We were on the waiting list. Well, from the beginning of starting the process to the end of the placement was two and a half years with Carson. But again, a lot of that was us taking a little bit more time. But when the our caseworkers came to our house to tell us that we had been matched with an expectant mom, they said, you know, we didn't really hear from you. I mean, you have been super patient, like waiting. I mean, this is like a long time. And we kind of looked at each other and we were like, well, we just kind of thought that's what we were supposed to do. Like, we didn't know we could ask any questions, so we didn't. And, and lo and behold, two and a half years later, we finally got told that we had been matched. And it was really cute. They brought us a little frame and it said, this is not a positive pregnancy test, but this news is the best because in just a few short weeks, a new baby boy will be in your nest. <laughs> so that's how we found out that um, we had been matched and um, that was with Carson's birth mom. And uh, we did, we wanted an open adoption with her. We wanted that relationship. Um, we wanted just not only to be able to receive the blessing of a child, of course, that we had prayed fervently for, but we also wanted the blessing of getting to know the birth mother and getting to pour into her life and pray for her. I think, you know, when you start the adoption process, you think it's going to be about bringing a baby home and God has so much more for you. Yeah, there's so many more people in this story than just the baby and the adoptive parents as well. Yeah. One of the things I love is that you are in with all these adoptive mothers and you've seen so much. So now this gets you intricately involved in that mom. And that's really cool that you decided to open. What are some difficulties of open versus closed? And what are some of the advantages you see in that side? Yes, we have both because no one's is closed. Uh, we requested an open adoption, but she she wasn't, uh, the birth mother wasn't open to it at the time and that hasn't changed. So we can speak on both. <laughs> yeah, so we, I experience it, you know, like I said, from being in the pregnancy center and being able to educate our clients on open, semi-open and confidential. But then we were able actually to experience it in our own personal life because like, like I said, we both, we wanted both of them to be open adoptions, but we also trusted the Lord. Nolan's uh, situation was a little bit different. He was what they call a drop-in. So we had been waiting for another two years with uh, two agencies. We had dual applied and actually we got Nolan through a third agency who I had contact with through the pregnancy center So he was a drop-in, which essentially means that the expectant mom shows up to the hospital without being connected to an agency and expresses her desire to place for adoption. So we got that call to say that there was a little beautiful baby boy with lots of brown hair (laughs) born and were we interested in, in being his mommy and daddy. And so in about two hours, we had to make that decision to so you've been waiting two years, but boy, it was quick once it came. <laughs> yes. We weren't prepared. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, we and, and the reason is, 
Right. It was based on our past experience because when we were notified about Carson, we had a few months to get ready. So Mm. this was not a few months. And what about the reactions with your boys in the open and closed and the different conversations with them? Do they both know? I mean, have y'all been talking about their adoption with them throughout? Yes, they're both very aware of their adoption stories. Um, But that's kind of one of the things is that we really had to trust God because we wanted both of them to be adopted and God had another plan in mind. And so they're both beautiful stories and they're both unique. And we know that God will give us the ability to navigate those situations as they come about for Carson and for Nolan and um, how this is going to affect them and the questions they're going to have and so forth. We know we'll have to deal with those. We've already had some already, Mm. but I think it's been beautiful because uh, Nolan has been able to experience getting to know Carson's birth mother and her family. Um, They've come to visit many times and we have a very open relationship with them and they just include Nolan like he's one of theirs. So he's made to feel very special with them. And it's also sparked a lot of great conversations from Nolan just asking questions. I mean, hard questions like why doesn't my birth mother want to know me? Why doesn't she want to see me? You know, things we knew that he would ask. Sure. And I'm thankful that he's willing to share and ask and that we can kind of walk that out with him. Well, it's interesting too, because one of the first things people ask me all the time is if our kids are biological brother and sister, which they are, but I wondered as well with your boys, they're brothers, but they're not biological brothers. People aren't really worried. I don't think about it. They just, that's a question that people ask. They're not being ugly, but how do y'all work with that? Oh, that's a great question. Well, no, the difference. They definitely act like brothers. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, they don't know any different, of course. Yeah, yeah honestly, we haven't really had um, a whole lot of issue with people, you know, asking too many questions about that. And honestly, we're not, we don't take offense. So like if th- those questions or comments that people make a lot of times unintentionally, we kind of let those roll off. So even if someone were to say something, I think we would try to take it with grace. So they don't get like, y'all are brothers? What? I mean, they don't get any of that? Oh, at school, sometimes they do. Yeah. Some of the the kids will say, you and Nolan are brothers. He doesn't really look like you. And so then he gets, uh, they both get to share that they're adopted and they're proud of that. Uh-huh. Um, they don't have any qualms about letting people know that they're adopted, um, which we always wanted them to know that that's a special gift and that they are a gift from the Lord to us. And so, yeah, they just, they just educate. (laughs) There you go. Perfect. See, I love it when kids can do that. (laughs) Let me tell you what's going on here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so, I mean, they're just really cute. I love it. And (laughs) I just love the picture of adoption. It's just so cute because here are these little brothers that really Mm -hmm. obviously do not look alike. Yes. (laughs) So cute. What about your family members and your extended family? How do they feel about all the adoption and everything? They're very supportive. I think it's an education process, just like it was for us when we started. But I think overall, there's no issues. I I think going into it, I, I can't remember exactly the stories, but, you know, just like family members saying, oh, yeah, so and so is adopted. And you're like, really? I, you know, as you get more into adoption, you learn 
more and more people are adopted or have a, a hand in adoption that you never knew about before. Yeah, you're like, you know, oh, I never knew that. Right. Well, and a lot of times people don't talk about it that much if, well, especially my generation, if they look like their family members and that was usually how people were matched, like, oh, they look like them. So we're going to work that. But now it's not by looks really. It's just, what's a good fit. And, you know, like you say, the, your, the birth moms chose you guys. And it, mm-hmm. I love that because it's not by appearance. It's by like, this is a good fit. I think this family will be a good place or whatever. And so it's an interesting difference because like with us, we wear our adoption. It's obvious, but mm-hmm. a lot of times it's not. And I love how kids who are adopted are like, well, as a matter of fact, I'll just tell you what's going on. I love that your boys are doing that. It's just, <laughs> it's so cute. Here they are seven and nine. Oh, and another thing I have birth mom and that, you know, I just like, I'm yes. sure all these, and little kids are great with that. I'm sure they're like, oh, what's adoption? Tell me about, you know, that's mm-hmm. great. That's really nice. So what are some resources that you guys have used? Can you think of anything in particular that have been helpful with you guys? So we did try to kind of saturate ourselves in in the adoption world early on. We went to several orientations that were really helpful. They all kind of build on each other. We recommend that when people ask us because you want to be in a good fit with the agency you're with because there are going to be some frustrating times and you need to have a good relationship and so we recommend going to as many orientations as you can because they're, I think all of them are free that we went to. So you can just go and, you know, just gather all the information. And then at, that's another time where you can say, because you're in the information gathering phase, you can say, do we want international? Do we, you know, what do we want here? And you may not even know what's available. Like, like I said earlier, we went into it thinking it's going to be a, a confidential adoption. And, you know, we came out of it after all, everything we learned to, we want an open adoption because that's what's best for the kids. The studies have found. So, so that's what we wanted. You know, you put your own desires aside and do what's best for the kid. Things we found out, which I don't even know if they're still available today. It's been so many years, but the tax credits you get to help kind of offset some of the cost and just things like that. Reading books was really helpful. There's such great resources out there as far as books and a lot of the agencies can either recommend or many of the ones we talked to actually required had required reading. And that was really helpful. Some of them required reading for the grandparents. And I would strongly recommend that because if they've never, if they've never had much interaction with adoption, they need to be educated. There needs to be understanding. And so that was a really great thing to um, be able to share yeah, and the hospitals, both in both pregnancies, were very uh, helpful. When Carson was born, they actually gave Holly and I a room in the, um, the maternity yeah. area. So we were planning on getting a hotel, to, you know, to, and, but they said they gave us a room. So so you were the, actually there when he was born? Oh, yes, yeah. we were in the room when Carson Aww. was born, both of us. It was really sweet. That is yes. so sweet. How kind yeah. of. His mom yes. too. I love that. How kind. That is that is a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. It was very very selfless. Um, she wanted us to be able to experience that very first moment with him. Mm. So we did. We were the first ones to get to hold him, and um, it was just it was beautiful. And Holly went to a lot of the 
doctor's appointments with her and stuff. So wow. was, what even a when no one was relationship born. with, with yeah. this mom. Yes, we do. It's it's kind of an anomaly, but we're really, really it thankful. Is. I don't think mm-hmm. all of them turn out this way, and we don't want to, you know, say that all open adoptions will look this way. It truly has been the Lord's hand upon it. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially for your first adoption, you'd been, and you'd been through a lot of trauma yourself. So it's, mm-hmm. that's precious that the Lord allowed that. That's really yes. good. Have you had a point where you thought, I mean, I don't know how you guys felt, especially Jeff. I wanted to ask you when here's Carson, who is your son and Holly had been to some of the appointments you said, and you guys were there when he was born, but did you have a time where you're like, this is my son. I really know he's my son. Can you think of a time in particular? We were so excited leading up to the, when he was born. And I can't put my finger on it. I remember looking back at pictures, like when he was born, we were holding him and we were both crying and stuff. So maybe that was when it happened. So oh, pretty quick then. Yeah. What about you, Holly? Did you ever, did you have something that you're like, okay, he's my son or did it take a bit? Or do you remember that? Um, no, it was the second they put him in our arms for me. I mean, it was very immediate. And again, I don't know that that is the case with every situation. I know that you're missing out on that bonding um, when they're not in your tummy in utero. Um, that's part of what why that was created. And so that might at times be a little bit, take a little bit longer. But for me, I, it was something I prayed about for so long and felt so called to that the second the nurse put him in my arms, I knew he was mine. I knew that he was the child that God had given specifically for us. With Nolan, you said it took a little bit longer than that. Oh, so with Nolan, yeah, I'll tell that story. So Nolan, because he was a drop-in, we didn't get to know the birth mother or anything previously. And also Nolan had jaundice. So he was in the NICU for five days after birth. And that was really, really hard. Because like I was saying, just the whole bonding, you start bonding the second you're holding them, whereas the mother who's pregnant is going to be bonding those whole nine months. And so when we couldn't hold Nolan because he was having to be under the lights, it was really, really difficult. But I look back and I see, again, God's hand in that because every evening I would go up to the NICU. I would drive to Fort Worth where he was. I would go up to the NICU. And here would come in his birth mother, and she had borrowed her sister's car to come up to the NICU to sit there to make sure that he was going to be okay. Mm. And had he not been in the NICU, we likely would not have had many conversations with her, if any, because we didn't get to know her prior to his birth. And so we would sit there in those rocking chairs and just watch him, and we would talk. And I got to share with her how much I admire her. And what a selfless, sacrificial, beautiful choice she made and that she should always be proud of what she did Wow! um, because she is a huge answer to prayer. And I also told her that if there's ever a day that she wants to have a relationship with him or wants to be involved in his life, that we would be open to it. But we absolutely honored and respected her decision that she was not comfortable with that at this time. But I know that she knows that we would welcome that at some point. If And that's so precious. You got to tell her that face to face. That is awesome. I love that. And for her 
to actually see. And you have those stories to tell no one as well, that she cared that much. She was up there. Those are, especially since he won't have the same kind of relationship, maybe, I mean, maybe someday he will, but that's so nice to tell him that. So how have you seen what God has done for us? Those of us who are accepted into his family or adopted into his family. Have you seen that played out with your adoption story with your boys? I think one of the things we always like to bring up that we talked about a lot already is just the selfless sacrifice that we saw from the, the birth mothers, because both of them were unwanted pregnancies and they could have easily chosen abortion or whatever, but they carried the babies to term, which is a sacrifice right there. And then just both of them doing what they really thought was best for their baby, just such a huge sacrifice on their part. I think that's what we see is just the sacrifice made by someone that loves someone else. They're willing to to do that and for someone else that in Nolan's case, who knows if he'll ever meet her, you know, mm. but she did what was best. Wow. Yeah, that is. I think one thing that represented just the Lord's relationship with us. So Carson's birth runner, as I said, we have a really good relationship and they came to stay with us one weekend. Um, and one of the things we had, really been praying about is their spiritual walk with the Lord, um, that they would grow in their relationship with the Lord. And so we invited them to come for a weekend. They were planning to get a hotel here in town. And Jeff said, well, we have a house with rooms. Why don't they just come stay here? And I was like, really? They can come stay here? Okay, let's do this. So I was really excited. And it was a really, really special weekend. And they went to church with us. And after church, they actually walked up in front of walked up to the front of the church and introduced themselves to our pastor and shared that Carson was her son that she had placed for adoption. And she was just kind of beaming and and proud. And our pastor was able to really affirm her and just, you know, bless her for what she had done. And that evening after they had packed up and gone back, I was upstairs with Carson. I was tucking him into bed And I said, hey, bud, um, what did you think of today? um, How was it for you? Did you enjoy having um, your birth family here? And he said, yeah, mom, it it was really great. He said it was it was like all the people who love me were here at one time. And that was really special. So that gives me goosebumps. Oh, yeah. So grown up thing for a little boy to say, too, just (laughs) that realization there. Yeah. It was a really awesome moment, like that he understood that he was loved so much by us, but also so much by her. So he he put it all together in a beautiful um, way of expressing it that I couldn't have said better myself. That's so God that for him to have that realization, because there could definitely sometimes be bitterness. There could be a feeling of abandonment for whatever reason, you know, because it's confusing. Mm-hmm. So you guys, wow, y'all done a great job of just making that all work together. All right. This year has been crazy. I think we'd all agree with that. We're getting ready to start school back to say that this year has been unusual would be an understatement, but I've seen so much hope in this year as well. I love so many things that you guys have said through your journey is giving me so much hope. And I know for those listening as well, but how has this year shown you guys, have you seen hope through this year? So I've seen it in a lot of different ways, but one thing that definitely comes to mind is just 
being at the pregnancy center during COVID, we were only closed for in-person appointments for about a month and a half. We really tried to gear up and get ready quickly because we knew our clients needed us and they needed that in-person ability to sit down and share what was on their heart. And so we, we knew the value of that. And so I think where I've really seen the Lord's hand in, in offering hope is just being able to share the good news of Jesus with these women who are in a crisis on top of a crisis. So they're in an unexpected pregnancy and they're in the middle of COVID, a pandemic. And so their hearts, they're, they're just, they recognize the void. There's fear, there's anxiety, all the things. And to be able to share the hope of Christ in a time when they're in such need for it and to have them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and know that that's going to change the trajectory of their life. There's nothing better. And also just to experience the freedom and the joy that Christ desires for us as his children. He doesn't desire that we live in fear. He doesn't desire that we live in anxiety. He is a God of hope and freedom and joy. And it's only through a relationship with his son, Jesus, that we can ever experience that fully. That is so beautifully said. I think, too, the hope that you have given as you're speaking of these birth moms and sometimes, well, lots of times there's a lot of shame involved. And that's one of the reasons that some women choose an abortion because they're like, well, it's quote unquote easier to just do that. Then I won't have to face the shame of whatever their situation is. And you guys have definitely sounds like turned that around beautifully with Carson's mom. And that's so precious. I actually have a relative who she told me that she thought a lot about getting an abortion. And I told her that right up front, I was like, I'm so proud of you for Mm facing like, yes, I am pregnant. I am unmarried, but I am going to have this baby and love this baby. And our whole family is going to love this baby. And I think that's what we can do so much for these moms, because it seems like an easier decision. And, and there's a lot of people who have chosen to have an abortion. They were scared. They were confused and what to do and, you know, loving them through that as well, because everyone makes decisions that, they have to make for that time. And of course we would love for them to choose to have this, the baby, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And, you know, just loving people through hard places, whatever they are. And I love how you are doing this with this ministry and how you guys are doing with this one mom at a time with your two boys, moms. And wow, that this is, Great. I love how much you're talking about these birth moms because it's true. There's always a birth mom and there's always a hard place in these adoption stories. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, just like you said, no matter what decision they make, the gospel is for all. Mm -hmm. Um, He died for all. He gave that sacrifice, no matter what you've experienced, no matter if you've experienced abortion um, or whatever it is, um, no sin is too great for the cross. And so um, we get to share that because a lot of the women that come through our doors have personally experienced abortion and we love them through it. And so we don't want them to live in shame and guilt. We want them again to heal and receive the freedom that um, is available. So 
we even offer a post-abortion support group through the pregnancy center so that they can get that help that they need and the healing that they need. That's so great because women, we're so hard on ourselves in every area, but this one, especially there's such a stigma still for whatever decisions we've made. And then we carry that and the guilt. And it's just like, well, you don't understand what I've done is way worse than this other person. And no, grace is sufficient for anything. You guys have shared some really hard things here, but they are precious. Thank you so much for sharing Holly, about your family, your mom passing away at such a young age. And a lot of kids who are in adoption situations, their parents have passed away. My kids' parents passed away when they were young. And that has to have been very traumatic for you. I appreciate you sharing that. And I know that probably does help you empathize in a lot of ways with your kids. Even though their birth moms are still living, it's still such a loss it's, it's a loss that they carry, I'm sure. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And with your heart situation and with your adoption, with your boys, all the different things. So thank you for sharing that. So many people are going to be encouraged by you guys. And we want to pray for you because I know a lot of people think, well, and then you adopted and everybody lived happily ever after. And I know for a fact that is not true for myself. And I would assume for you guys as well. So I know you would say, it's okay, we'll take some prayers here. So <laughs> yes. yes. And you don't even have teenagers yet, which is real fun when they're like, bring boxing gloves to every party. And you're like, really, do we have to box again under the light <laughs> in the backyard? But you just look away and yeah, that's, that's I'm not ready. No, no one is. We just have to do it. But what's something low key you guys make high key? Could you think of anything? We're discussing this and we're kind of talking about our clash of personality traits. Like for me, it, always being on time, which Holly is not. And um, what else did I write down? Uh, she says that, uh, I'm much better suited to live in conflict with people than at, at peace with people. <laughs> she used to say that when we talked about marriage. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I think uh, we've grown to appreciate each other's differences over the years. Uh, I, I have to look the other way sometimes. What do you think? I would say that I'm a little low key, that I make high key. So probably exercising is one of them. Oh, I got um, a funny story about that. Yeah, so that is like a major stress reliever for me, and I probably do it way more than I need to. So I think Jeff said he would like to share a story about that. I'm sure it will be very uplifting. It all started with your seventh grade coach. We know that. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So she really does work out like every day. It doesn't matter what's going on. So even when we go out of town, like to people's house, she'll be on the living room floor working out and stuff. And I've had people tell me it makes them uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. I have to do this, okay? I have two children. Leave her alone. <laughs> she has two boys. <laughs> Stress this thing. makes me a better mother. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So it just keeps mommy happy. It's, you know, there's worse habits. <laughs> exactly. Oh. oh, funny. I know. It's so funny. Yeah, Stan... He has quite a few things that he reminds all of us of. Hey, everyone, the dishwasher should be loaded correctly. We're all like, (laughs) 
whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's one of mine, I guess. Because I'll go re- redo it. Yeah, it's he does too. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Stan Williams. Correctly. Like, no, I know. And I was like, it's fine. We're going to turn on the water. It's going to circulate through. And then Betty's going to unload it. So it'll be fine. <laughs> just, <laughs> don't just step away from the dishwasher. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thank you guys. And your boys are so cute. They were at that event the other night. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're so cute. I can't even take it. I thank you guys so much. All right. I'm thankful to Jeff and Holly for taking time out of their busy schedule to sit down with me. I know it must have been difficult to share these defining moments for Holly with the loss of her mom at only nine years old and for both of them, Jeff's head on collision, Holly's near death experience and miraculous recovery. Holly now lives with a pacemaker and exercises all the time, as you heard. (laughs) I was educated on several things here, open and closed adoptions with their advantages and disadvantages, and some of the services offered for women faced with an unplanned pregnancy. Do you have someone in your life who is a single mom? These brave women need our love and support. Don't miss next week when we'll hear from my new friend, Yordi, a precious college student from Ethiopia who was adopted at seven. Until next week, let's all keep adopting it forward. Thank you so much for listening. Can you do me a huge favor? If you're enjoying the adoption stories, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode, which drops every Wednesday. It would also really help if you could leave a positive review. Five stars if you've got them. Do you or someone you know have an adoption story to tell? please reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or through our website at largeentrywilliams.org. You can also find our show notes there. Today's show was edited by Will Rice. The whole thing was put together by my favorite guy, Stan. The website, largeentrywilliams.org, is managed by Leslie Serrano. Unconditional love and occasional mischief provided by Golden Doodles, Gus, and Coach. Thanks again for listening. Let's encourage each other as we are adopting it forward.